Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you by Red Army Bet, a betting site with a difference. Not only are we offering the best available odds on a United win, we've also got exclusive special bets created by Reds. And as we share half our net profits with the United supporters community, no matter what, the fans can always end up winning. Check out our website, redarmybet.com, or download the app, Red Army Bet, about fans, by fans, for fans. We are joined now by Steve Armstrong from the United We Stand podcast. Steve, ever, everyone associated with Everton seems to be really looking forward to this game on Sunday. Are United fans feeling the same or not? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not, I mean, not one bit. Is, is, that a, is that a case of it's just the way the team's playing at the moment or is there a bit of a lull around Old Trafford at the moment? Because I think you know it seems to be two distinct sets of supporters and I think it has been reunited for a while in terms of the away fans and the home fans are a very different beast and I, mean, I remember last season when we had Sam Allardyce and we weren't playing particularly well going. The game was a bit of a chore at times at Goodison Park. I mean, why is it that everyone's just not really up for this one? I think it's because every sort of glimmer of hope when you start to think, right, you know, let's we'll, let's kick on now, or that's you know we've got through that period now, or and you just think there's something just around the corner where you know a couple of players play well, we settle on a formation. Um, and we get a decent result, stroke decent performance. You sort of think, right, let's let's go now. But we just haven't got going yet, um, and that's been the frustrating thing. Normally, at some point, you know, if United have a slow start, they suddenly take eight, nine wins together, um, or if they have a period of sort of being, you know, a lull, then they, they, they bounce back and stick another run together. They've always done that, and you know, they've done that under Mourinho. Um, they just haven't got going yet this season. You kind of think after two, three, four, five games, you know, all right, it's time to move now. And here we are at sort of game, I think we're at game 10 or game 11 now, or something mad like that. It's it, We just haven't got going. And it's a bit like owning a car that you just think, no matter what you do, how many times it's clean, it's service it, you know, do whatever to it. It's in and out of the garage. And every, you know, you get it back and you think, right, it's mm. sorted. And, and then you break down again. It's it's just frustrating as hell. And, you know, the, the sort of mood around Old Trafford is. I mean, the, I keep saying this whenever I talk to people in Liverpool. Is that, you know, we know about the, the cities being sort of the rivalries and everything, but there, there are a lot of similarities. And I've always said that they do the same things, but just a slightly bit differently. And, and Liverpool's a very serious football city. It's very passionate about its football. Manchester's slightly more. It's, it's got the ability to just shrug its shoulders and go, ah, oh, fuck it, and just get on, get on with enjoying, enjoying the day and all this kind of stuff. So... At the minute, we're doing that a lot, lot more than, than getting on with the uh, the usual stuff. Because at some point, you, you know, you can't keep doing that every Saturday or every weekend. You can't keep shrugging your shoulders and going, ah, fuck it, let's just go and get hammered. You know, because at the end of it, you end up 15th in the table and alcoholic. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just odd that. And I think that I think the fact that United can't get going um, and it's this sort of stop, start, stop, start. I mean, some of us are even in this point of... You know, we'd rather be sort of. I, I, I was actually on a Newcastle podcast last night, funnily enough, um, doing a bit of a post of, of, of that game that we played against them. And mm. I'd rather actually be, mad as it might sound, I'd rather be where they are at the minute. Um, because I think you know, at least there's some excitement there that, you know, we, we need to do something here to stay up um, mm. and and change something here. But here we are, um, I think 10th in the table. I can't remember the last time Everton came to Old Trafford above United um, and certainly in better form than United. Um, and the really unbelievable, the really frightening statistic for me is we're about to start November. United are minus one goal difference. It's absolutely astounding. Um, 
they were in that position. You know, you've got City on plus 23 goals. <laughs> I mean, the fact that they're 10 clearly, but whether it is, is in second, I don't know if it's Liverpool or Chelsea or mm. Arsenal in second. I've no idea if, if it is, but I know they're all sort of up there. But the 10, the 10, 10, 10 goals clear of, of whoever's challenging them and 24 goals clear of United, it's, it's, just, it's just a nightmare, really. The, the momentum thing, I think, is really interesting. It was something else I was going to ask you about because it, it does seem as though whenever United have had a, a fill-up of it, it's been, it's been dashed either by poor performances or something else. I mean, you go back to that Newcastle game and I imagine everyone's coming off the ground feeling not great about the, the performance, but just great that they've seen a, a team battle back and, and come back and win a game that looked like they were going to lose. Then you've got the international break after that and then you've got the Chelsea game where it's 2-1 then you've got the late goal. And to cap it all off, you've got probably one of the best sides in Europe coming to Old Trafford on Tuesday. And I imagine that in particular, that game and, and, and the sobering nature of it, because I think Juventus didn't really, I wouldn't say they pulled United apart. It was, it was obviously just thought, we're going to hold these at arm's length and just, just manage this game. I, I imagine that was very sober. And it seems as there's been a lot of those sobering moments after highs, if, if you could say. It was like watching the fucking Grand Prix on, <laughs> on Tuesday night. You know, like, off goes the Mercedes into the distance and that's it, it's a race over and you just know that, right, now there's no crashes on the first lap, that's it, I just want to do something different. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. So, yeah, I take your point on that. Um, I think what we said on our podcast the other night was, was that it, it was quite sobering in the sense of, it was, it's the first, what you class as a real, if you look at United's European ties in, in the last sort of three or four years, we've not played what you class as one of the traditional big hitters like a Barcelona, Real Madrid, um, Juventus, you know, all the usual sort of suspects. I, I, I think you can probably go back as far as um, probably Bayern Munich when Moyes' manager was the last real big hitter that we played. Um, and I think it was the first time we've probably been up against uh, that elite group that, you know, United for at least two decades belonged in. And the golfing class was just absolutely massive. Um, and the sad sad, sad reflection of where United are at currently is that United don't belong in that elite class in Europe and they were miles off the pace there to the point that Juventus couldn't even be arsed hammering us. Because that's the insult, I think. Um, when a big team cannot be bothered to hammer you um, because they'd rather just conserve the energy and, and you know because they know that they've got you comfortably in their pocket. Because um, I always think when a team goes out and tries to do you four, five, six, I think ultimately there's some respect there. Um, that, and that they feel that you owe you one. Um, I don't think that you know that was that was the harrowing part of, of the other night. But um, you know, coming back to the momentum thing, um, yeah, the, the Newcastle second half was very good. Um, I thought we played very very well in the second half again against Chelsea and probably deserved to win it. Um, but nobody in that ground when six minutes went up on the board in the United and thought that it would end any other way than the way it, the way it did. Um, and when fans start thinking like that. Um, you know, under Ferguson, there'd have been people when that board went up at two one, expecting us to finish, uh, expecting to finish three or four one. Mm. Most of us were thinking this is going to finish two all, um, and the only saving grace there potentially was that they scored in the fifth and sixth minute of injury time, and not the first, because then you know that could have ended up three two. Um, so yeah, you're right on the momentum front. But I guess the frustration thing is, I mean, you can look at this two ways. One thing I will say, right, and I give United absolute credit for this. You look at. They keep digging these performances out from a, from the slumber that they're in. You've got to give any team that's struggling real credit for that. Um, it's like the old school report where you you know you get an academic D, but you get an A for effort. Um, there's no <laughs> doubt in the commitment and the effort um, and the fact that they will try and pull something out. And Newcastle was great for that. Um, the fact that we came from behind against one of the better teams um, in the league again, it was really encouraging. 
Um, but the frustration, I suppose, that I would sort of level back at that is I challenge any United fan and any football fan to go back and look at where United last played a game that involved them playing well for two whole halves of football because I genuinely, genuinely cannot think of one. And, that, and, that, and we're not even... I mean, there, there absolutely hasn't been one this season. I can't think of any from the sort of back end of last season. Um, you know, even the City game, we were absolutely mm. atrocious for... For, for the first 45 minutes to the point where and City were too good for us I mean if that that could have been four or five at half time easily and the sad thing is is about the Newcastle game I think the Newcastle game was a real get out of jail um, for, for, for the manager at the time because if that penalty had been given um, when Ashley Young I think handballed it um, if that penalty had been given and 3-0 had been posted on the board before after because I think 3-0 is the most toxic score that you mm. can get at a home game because I think at 2-0 as much as everybody's pissed off I think everybody thinks if we can just get one in you know that sort of mindset always exists in the ground and I think every football fan will relate to that but I think 3-0 for me is usually the point where everybody thinks game over done there's no way back for this mm. and I think the problem with 3-0 if it's say 75-80 minutes most people just book it off home the problem when it's 3-0 at sort of 30-35-40 minutes in People aren't going to go home at that point. They're just going to stay in the ground and absolutely vent their spleen against what they're watching. So if that had been allowed and that had gone in, that would have been such a toxic atmosphere in that ground that I just don't think he'd have been able to recover from that in the sense of, you know, not so much him from a personal point of view because as mad as it might sound, most United fans are still very, very much in the camp of, you can put them into three buckets, really. People who just want him to stay regardless people who want him to stay and just sort everything out including the things that he's culpable for and then there's a big group who just want him to go um, I think there'd have been a lot of shifts in the, in movement towards that latter group had that been the case so he kind of got away with it there um, and then again we'll win uh, good result stroke performance when you look at it in the context of the 90 minutes at Chelsea so if you sort of take the Juventus game out of that a little bit and just look at the league games, there's an argument to say, well, you know, United are coming into this with at least a little bit behind them. Um, you know, albeit, you know, he's five goals scored and three and four conceded. So you can sort of see where the vulnerabilities and the frailties lie. But, you know, the whole piece around, we just don't seem to be able to get going in terms of formations, who plays best in what position. Um, you know, we can't even get a coach to take the team to the ground and get there on time. It's just a shambles from, from top to bottom, really. So, yeah, I mean, I think the, the point you made there about the team is is another really interesting one, I think, because he doesn't seem really settled anywhere in the pitch and what he wants, maybe aside from the goalkeeper. I mean, Ashley Young's come in and started playing right back recently and, and done pretty well. Uh, it looks as though he may be settled on Linderoff and Small and Pogba having been told for so long that he can play, can he play in the midfield threes back in a two. I'm not entirely sure he really likes Mata behind the striker. I'm not entirely sure he really likes Rashford out on the right-hand side. I mean, I'm going to come to talk about Lukaku in a second, but he just seems to be undecided on, on so many different positions all over the pitch, Steve. And I think that's where he's very culpable, because there's one thing a manager should know it almost forensically and explicitly is, is who does what best and where. And it's very, very unlike Mourinho. Because Mourinho's always been a bit of a means to an end type of manager. You know you're going to get the prickliness. You know you're going to get the arrogance. But ultimately, you know you're going to get a master tactician who knows players inside out, knows them better than themselves, and knows how to win games in any way, shape, or form. And the problem we've kind of got um, is he's sort of lost his way a little bit with the things that he was he's traditionally brilliant at. And he's not displaying them as a manager and as a coach to the levels that he used to be able to do. Um, I think a lot of that is because he's getting broiled in other stuff. 
Um, you know, because managing Manchester United, and I, and I use this, I use the word managing as opposed to coaching, um, is a, is a massive, massive thing. And I do think that there's got to be somebody stuck in between him and the commercial sort of side, the business side of the business, to help bridge that gap between the club as a business and the football side of it. Um, but I think he's getting distracted from what ultimately he's best at. But yeah, you're absolutely right. He doesn't seem to be out of grip on on who's doing what and where. And the problem we've got with with United is, is that you need sort of when you look at some of the real top, top sides, right, more often than not, what you've got is, is you've got people who are sort of very, very capable of putting strong performances together very, very regularly in that position. And by that, if you take the 1999 side and the 08 side, what you had in that team was minimum minimum level set. It was usually seven strokes, seven and a half out of ten. You then have a few players who'd hit eight, eight and a half, and then the years would be one or two who'd be nine and a half and ten out of ten. The problem we've got at the minute is, is our best players are having the kind of man of the match performances that you rate at about seven, seven and a half out of ten. And this is the thing with Pogba, as much as he's not doing a lot wrong, he's also not doing a lot of brilliance, which what you, you expect from a world-class World Cup winning four-time um, league champion in Italy winning midfielder with a massive price tag you expect him to be able to be that one who puts the 9 and 10 out of 10 performances together that raise the bar for the guys who were hitting 6 to turn them 6s into 7s and the 7s into 8s that bring the whole side along and you know United lack that iconic player um, who can do that and that iconic leadership on the field and you know I've said this a few times um, for all people going on about Ibrahimovic and Rooney in terms of what had gone on in their legs in terms of their influence there you know, their influence in and around the club as sort of figureheads. Um, I think you can really pinpoint, particularly the loss of, of Ibrahimovic, I think, um, to, to to where things started to get a little bit wrong here. Because on top of the performances and what's really knocking United fans, at the top of the performances is you've now got these dickhead um, activities going on in changing rooms that are just frustrating people. Um, you know, those kind of things want to happen with your sort of figurehead people. Um, so that's got to change and that's got to start changing um, very, very quickly. And, you know, coming back to your point about who's he settling on, well, you know, Lindelof probably had his best game for United the other night um, since he joined and fair play to him for that. But, you know, you're not dealing with the sort of blood and thunder Premier League type of fixture there. You're dealing with ultimately a calculated, fairly slow um, event aside um, that probably suited him better. Um, you know, he's probably just he's probably more capable of dealing with that game than he is going up against Glenn Murray from Brighton. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I can see why he played well in that, but you know, it'll be when he comes up against. You know, we'll see what happens at the weekend. Um, you know, so he's got that. Um, Pogba's not just hitting the heights that he should be doing, but he's not doing anything wrong. Um, Nemanja Matic is the one who's frustrating a lot of fans um, because his distribution and his passing and his slowness is starting to really catch up with him. And you know, the problem we've got is. Um, we're, we're, we've got names who are going on the team sheet almost without challenge and people who, you know, including the person we're going to talk about in a minute, um, who who just don't deserve to either be on the first on the team sheet or don't deserve to be staying on the pitch after 60 minutes when United can't seem to be able to get through. Um, and I think what's frustrating a lot of United fans isn't so much everything else that I've just talked about, the final cherry on some of that is, is he's letting certain players get away with it instead of hauling them off and making an example of them and, and giving somebody else a chance. And that's what's really getting to people at the moment. 
Yeah, I'm sensing by what you were saying there that you think that Lukaku's fallen in, into that bracket. And I'm, I'm at low to speak about him too critically because, you know, you know what's going to happen on, on Sunday when Everton do rock up, up at Old Trafford. He's gonna be, I think he's going to be on it. He's going to be up for it. But reflecting on what he's been doing over... Over, the, over this season in particular, I think it's been a, a really interesting time for him at United States. He obviously came in and hit the ground running really well. I think he earned a lot of popularity amongst United fans pretty early on. He seemed to be developing into a, a sort of leadership figure at the, at the top end of the pitch there. He was very galvanising to the players. And this season, I don't know if it's a bit of a hangover from the World Cup. I don't know if it's something else, but I was speaking to a couple of friends when we were watching the game against Chelsea the, the other day, and we were saying that physically he looks enormous now and I think one of the things about him when he was at Everton and what made him such a threat was that he had that that great blend of rapid speed great acceleration but he was strong as well and, and good enough to mix it with the, the best defenders in that sense and we were saying he almost looks like a do you know when a boxer goes up a weight class and they're probably a, a, a bit a bit too a bit a bit too and people say they're dead at the weight they look dead at the weight I, I, I think that's what he looks at the moment he looks like a boxer who's gone up a couple of weight classes and he just seems dead at the weight yeah, he was actually described by by one of our lads on the podcast the other night. We've got a heavyweight boxer up. You're not the first to say that. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that picture. that has been doing the rounds of the day he signed for Everton versus what yeah. he looks like now. It's just it's just phenomenal. Mm. Um, the difference. So, I mean, the plus side is he's, he's clearly getting to the fridge before Luke Shaw. So we've we've got a bit of Luke Shaw <laughs> as, a, as a result over it. So every cloud and all of that. But, oh wow! You know, his his fitness is very very suspect. Um, and, he doesn't seem to have recovered um, from that. Um, he charged back against Watford about four games ago and made a tackle, and he doesn't seem to have recovered from that little mm. run. It, it's quite stark and it's quite quite frightening the difference in in his um, in his performance. Uh, but it's not just you know the fitness side of it. His touch is just. I mean, it wasn't great in the first place. Let's be clear. Yeah. We're not talking like my youth standard of being able to trap it, hold it up, and turn the play back round facing the facing the defenders. You know, he's always been fairly fairly average at best when it comes to, to his touch but by God if you thought that couldn't have got any worse he's, he's managed to prove that fairly wrong it's quite incredible just the level that he's currently performing at and you know I think that's where you've got to look at um, you know what is going on in terms of what's going on in his mind what's going on in in his um, what's going on in his training you know what's he doing in, in the week what's going on with how he's being coached and the other thing you've got to bear in mind here is you know, I said, we brought this up the other night again. If you thought, if, if someone was just not doing their job in their place of work and getting away with absolute murder, people start calling the boss's integrity into question. You know, and you think about, if you're Alexis Sanchez and you're sat on the bench watching this game in, game out, and you're sitting there thinking, how am I not starting? Mm. How am I not getting? You know, someone who scored 31 in 50 games when playing up front for Arsenal, how am I not getting a run in this side? Sure. Um, you know, and, and the impact of that is just, it's just unbelievable, really. And, you know, the loyalty that's been shown um, to him in that position, because I think we're talking eight games now um, without without a goal, which is... That's a long time for him, isn't it? He, he doesn't really go on these droughts very often. He certainly didn't when he was at Everton, anyway. Well, he's pretty... I mean, yeah, I mean, I think he's still your leading Premier League goal scorer. Oh, yeah. You know, um, I think he scored 60-odd or something stuff like that. And, and you, you know, your point about hitting the ground running with United is, is definitely a valid one. But the one thing that was definitely levelled against him, and I still think that he still has that sort of flat track bully uh, about him for me. And I think the problem that I worry about there is, is even when he rediscovers this form or touch, he's just going to be sticking goals in against the likes of, you know, name, you know, name your team from the bottom 10 or bottom 11 sides. You know, 
can you see him charging through him, sticking one in in the last minute at Anfield, or you know, springing up and turning the Manchester derby around with, with two goals in the last? Not not a chance, you know. You know, but people sort of talk about him as being this sort of elite forward who has got twenty twenty five goals per season. But again, when you actually look at the sort of level of um, the level of team and the, the importance of the fixture that he's scoring these goals in, and I, and I think you can go right back through his scoring career, really. You know, he scores a fair few numbers in what you class as the sort of dead rubber mentality and, and again for £75 million pounds, that's that's a big big layout for a return that ultimately you'd class as not yet covering that investment so you know he's going to have to at some point turn that around um, I think it probably would make sense to play him against his old club um, to give him that opportunity to um, to sort of get his spark back Um but if it wasn't for Everton this weekend, um, I would be absolutely baying for Mourinho to drop him um, and start with Sanchez and give him a crack at running it or give one of the other two. Because this is a problem. We, we Somebody again brought this up the other night. In theory, we, to accommodate Lukaku, you've now shoved Rashford out on one side and you've shoved Martial out on the other. So in theory, what you've got there is two what you class as failed strikers potentially up front with a striker who was failing up front and you suddenly wonder why we're minus one on goal difference. You know, it makes perfect sense to me. So, you know, if it makes perfect sense to me, I'm not so certain why it's not making perfect sense for a, for a fantastic manager and coach like Jose Mourinho. Steve, always great to speak to you. I can get a quick, quick prediction for how you think it's going to go on Sunday. <laughs> do, we, do, we, do we have to do this? Um, nil nil. <laughs> I'll be happy with that. I think I think we'll take a draw. I'll be happy. Well, with that. The, 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 do you want the, 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 the sad thing is, is um, I'd probably be quite happy with it as well. Mm-hmm. And that shows you it shows you just how the uh, how the mighty may have uh, mighty may have fallen. But uh, no, I, uh, I I've not got high hopes for it. And listen, you know, you 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 get the sense that there's Everton are coming into this. Um, I think three wins on the spin now or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, they're coming into that in a bit of form. You get the sense that there's a. People are just starting to sort of believe that the manager seems to have now worked out the way forward for Everton. Um, and you kind of get the sense of the club coming in um, in good form um, with their tails up. And one thing that's definitely been a mindset since Ferguson left United is his team stop coming to Old Trafford and, and getting beat um, on the coach journey in or in the tunnel or in the warm-up. Um, you know, they've started actually coming now and having a go and, you know, I think Everton will come probably with a slightly different mentality mm-hmm. to what they've had in past and, and have a go at United and, you know, United are vulnerable, there's no doubt about that. So, you know, uh, it's definitely there. It's definitely a team that's there for the taking. Thanks for listening to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you by Red Army Bet. We offer the best available odds on a United win as well as a host of special bets created by Reds. With half our net profits being donated to United supporters groups, Red Army Bet is about fans, by fans, for fans. Check out our website, redarmybet.com or download the app. Red Army Bet, we all follow United.